Haunted Haulers Podcast, a place where your hosts, Wendy and April, discuss the creepy things that lurk in the misty shadows of the Appalachian Hills. I am, as always, the mysterious voice in the walls. Hey everybody, I'm Wendy. And I'm April. As a special way to finish off spooky season, today we are taking you to Wilder, Kentucky to explore the most haunted nightclub in America. Bobby Mackey's Music World sits near the Licking River and is a popular honky-tonk and has been owned by country music singer Bobby Mackey since 1978. The club had several incarnations over the years prior to being purchased by Mackey and carried with it a sordid history that includes everything from a slaughterhouse to satanic rituals, mobsters and murder, illegal gambling and booze, and everything in between. Bobby Mackey bought the club because he said he felt drawn to it. Even after he took his pregnant wife, Janet, to the club to show it to her and she felt uneasy about the place and asked him to choose a different venue, he went through with the deal and soon poured his life savings into making the club successful. Bobby hired Carl Lawson to help him bring the club to life, as Carl had worked as a handyman for the club under one of its previous names and knew his way around the property. The three of them quickly began work renovating the space. Terrifying things began to happen surrounding Janet that were often witnessed by Carl. At one point, a huge ladder raised up and shimmied toward her, nearly falling on her before Carl pulled her to safety. She heard a voice telling her to get out as this was happening. Other times, she felt like she was being touched, and on one occasion, she felt something grab her about her waist and began to squeeze her. And when she screamed, Carl came to her rescue. Whatever unnatural thing had taken hold of her released her, but both she and Carl heard an evil laughter surrounding them, and pots and pans flew off the walls and across the room. This wouldn't be the last time that an entity would take hold of Janet. The final straw came when something grabbed Janet by the waist and picked her up and then dropped her back on the ground. She tried to flee, running down the stairs, but the entity once again took hold of her and began pushing her back up the stairs. Something again shouted at her to get out, and she was finally able to break free and leave. But the incident caused her to go into premature labor, and she gave birth the next day. Once the club was up and running, Carl Lawson moved into a tiny apartment above the club and became its full-time caretaker. He had several experiences inside the club, so many in fact that he brought holy water into the club for safekeeping. He would see apparitions that spoke to him. Once the apparition of a young woman with short blonde hair told him that her name was Pearl and she needed his help. Afterwards, he was viciously attacked by some unseen force while evil laughter from a disembodied voice echoed around him. Another time, the apparition of a girl named Johanna directed Carl to dig in the basement. He took his pickaxe into the basement and began tearing up the floor. He found the entrance to a tunnel, and inside of it he found several sheets of paper that appeared to have come from Johanna's diary, and directed him to the spotlight room. He made his way upstairs and broke the padlock that blocked access to the catwalk. When he made it to the spotlight room, he found a poem written on the wall there and additional diary pages. In these pages, Johanna described how she had been a chorus line girl at the club when it was the Latin Quarter, and she had fallen hopelessly for a singer at the club named Robert Randall. The two had become lovers, and Johanna had wound up pregnant. Johanna's father was not happy with the match and wanted her to stay away from him, but the two made plans to run away with one another. Presumably, Johanna's father caught wind of the plot and murdered Randall. According to the diary, Johanna's father was heavily involved in the mob control of the club at the time and had been a cold-blooded killer. Johanna decided to poison her father for this act and then to poison herself, believing that she and her unborn child had no future in store for them with Randall dead. Johanna's final entry is where many of the legends and stories about the club come from. 
It discusses the tunnel itself and describes how her father had told her that he had sold his soul to the devil and the well or tunnel was a portal to hell. She claimed that it had been used to drain blood when the property was a slaughterhouse and that a girl named Pearl Bryan had been murdered and beheaded and her head had been tossed down into the well as a blood sacrifice to Lucifer himself. Although there is a record of what Carl said was contained in the diaries, the diary pages themselves were never produced or shared with the public. There is the written verse in the spotlight room, however. At one point, Carl claimed that he had been attacked by a creature in the basement and that he again was told to get out by a ghostly voice. Afterwards, he began to feel not quite like himself or that he was not in control of his own actions. His entire demeanor changed. In 1991, Reverend Glenn Cole was called in to talk to Carl. After speaking with him, Reverend Cole determined that Carl had been possessed by demonic spirits, and he decided to perform an exorcism on Carl right there in the club. Throughout the exorcism, Carl's voice changed. He became aggressive and disrespectful. The various voices that came from Carl stated that his body belonged to them. Reverend Cole began demanding that the spirits leave Carl's body. Carl fell from his chair to the ground and got on all fours and hissed at the reverend, saying again that this body belonged to him, and they would not leave. But the reverend continued to compel them and use the Bible as a spiritual weapon. Finally, after six long hours, it appeared that the battle had been won. Carl's body relaxed, and he returned to his usual demeanor. He continued on living in the apartment above the club and serving as the caretaker for many years, until he passed away in January of 2012. The club has been featured on multiple episodes of paranormal investigation shows. People who have investigated report smelling rose-scented perfume, seeing apparitions, hearing voices that are a mimicry of their loved ones, being told things about their personal lives that shouldn't be well known, sometimes feeling scratched or attacked, and many claim that entities from the club follow them home. Several have talked about mysterious paranormal activity happening in their homes after visiting the club, and sometimes these events persist for months until they finally dissipate. time for the breakdown and boy do we have a lot to break down today there is a lot to talk about with this story and so the first thing i think that we need to do is delve a little bit deeper into the history of this land where this nightclub sits today Mm -hmm. so the majority of the information that i got from this episode for this episode came from a book called ghost of bobby mackey's music world and it is written by dan smith and it is an excellent balance of fact and fiction and history and hysteria and so I got a lot of my facts about what happened here from there so you know we talked about the typical story being that this building was once a slaughterhouse it had this drain that they used to drain the animal blood into and that you know Satanists used it for rituals and you know poor Pearl Brian's head got tossed Mm -hmm. down the you know all these things that supposedly happened and there's a little bit of truth and a little bit of, like, hysteria fiction being mixed in there with that. So let's, let's throw it way back to the 1700s okay. to start. So the, the land where Bobby Mackey sits today was pretty much the site of a battle between the British soldier, soldiers 
and the French and Indians mm -hmm. in July of 1755. So this was a massacre. Uh, nearly all of the British were killed, and it's called uh, Braddock's Defeat is the name of the war. So, so there's this bloody battle taking place on the land, and that in and of itself is enough usually to kind of start some wild things oh, happening. Yeah. You know, we've got a lot of death, we've got a lot of uh, turmoil, things that are going on. And from what I understand, it was a very gory site. And we know about things staying with the land and land being haunted. Yes. Right. This okay. is not a good start. No, it is not. So that was in 1755. So then in the fall of 1779, you've got this Colonel James Taylor who buys up like 5,333 acres in Virginia, which part of this land was on the banks of the Licking River that's later going to become Kentucky in 1792. Mm -hmm. So uh, later, his uh, son, James Taylor Jr., takes three enslaved people and they travel to Newport, Kentucky. They arrive around June 20th, so it takes them a little while to get there. They left in April, they arrive in June, and he forced these enslaved people, Humphrey, Adam, and Moses, to work to clear all this land on the banks of the Licking River. So there's that negativity associated mm -hmm. with the land. Now, in the 1870s, the land that is going to be on the southern end of Bobby Mackey's property today actually was home to a slaughterhouse. Now, this was like owned by a local butcher, and it was a small-scale operation, Definitely not what we think of as a, as a large-scale slaughterhouse, the way that this usually gets thought of. But now this is several hundred feet from where Bobby Mackey's actual club stands today. So the, the Bobby Mackey Music World Club today was never actually a slaughterhouse right on that exact okay. spot. There was a slaughterhouse on the property, but it was not where the club is now. Interesting. So there's that. So, you know, we've got a little bit of history mixed in with some embellishment right. going on. Mm-hmm. Now, after the Civil War, there were a lot of crimes uh, against these formerly enslaved people. So we have a long line of hanging trees, including this spot where Bobby Mackey's is today. And it was so bad that the land was even referred to as Gallows Gap. Mm -hmm. And there were about 20 hangings that took place. So only one of these was legal, and the rest of them, as you can probably imagine, were lynchings. Right horrible horrible stuff mm -hmm. definitely bound to leave a mark on this land so we've yeah. got you know tragedy after tragedy after tragedy happening here and reports of people seeing apparitions on this property date all the way back to 1865 now in 1876 the land becomes a, a distillery so we have all these distillery buildings that are built there and they got permission to construct these three tunnels that would go under the railroad tracks and then out to the Licking River. Now, these are the same tunnels that people talk about being the slaughterhouse tunnels, mm -hmm. but they were really created there in order to drain this rainwater that would come in and keep the place from flooding, but they were also used to bring in water from the Licking River that they would use for this distilling process. Okay. So all of those tunnels, all three of them, still exist in the basement of Bobby Mackey's Music World today. Mm -hmm. And the, one of these tunnels is the one that Carl broke into with his pickaxe much, much later. Okay. Now, um, all kinds of bad stuff happened here as far as, like, uh, there were mysterious fires that broke out. The distillery was burned down on multiple occasions. You know, there was an explosion. Um, not in the 1907... 
The fire destroyed part of the distillery and also a saloon and a drugstore that were nearby. Okay, so what you have to remember now is the distillery was in operation up until it was torn down in around 1907. Now, uh, you recall that Carl's ghosts, one of them, was a young girl named Pearl mm -hmm. who told him that she needed help. Now, there actually was a Pearl Bryan who sadly was brutally murdered and beheaded, but that happened in February of 1896. So we have to talk about her story just a little bit because she plays very heavily into the legend around the club. Absolutely. Okay, so remember, distillery is still in effect. They're still doing their thing and making their alcohol. Okay. 1896, we have Pearl Bryan, and um, she was a young lady who had come there to go to school and, as young ladies are wont to do, had found herself a beau. Mm-hmm. And was very uh, enamored by this young man who was a dental student. So, on the morning of February 1st, 1896, we have 12-year-old John Hewling cutting across some property, going, uh, taking a shortcut. And this is uh, near a ravine, so he's ducking through this, like, out-of-the-way place. And he makes the horrifying discovery of a decapitated body of a woman just laying out there in the field. Now, uh, this place was covered with blood. There was blood spurts going six foot high into the air on the trees and the, the leaves around them. And they said that the ground beneath the body had blood soaked at least three inches wow. into the ground. So this was a horrific murder. And the coroner says that because of the state of the scene... And the spurts of blood being such as they were and the amount of blood that was on the ground, this poor girl had been alive when her head was cut off. Hmm. Head's missing. No head's there. They don't know who she is for quite some time. There, there's no way for them to identify her. You know, we're talking late 1800s. Forensics was not a thing right. yet at that time. So it wasn't like they could just, you know, do some DNA and figure out who she was. <clears throat> now, what's worse, uh, John Locke owned this property and he kind of let it get turned into a media circus mm -hmm. there were people coming and trampling all over the scene contaminating everything and like taking away like sticks that had blood on them and things like that as, as like kind of macabre souvenirs who would do that that's dark. Yeah. That's dark. <laughs> that, and what, what? How do you display that when you get home? Like, what are you yes. doing with with that? What person is doing that? Well. They like to display lots of things, and we'll talk about that, too, okay. in just a minute, okay. because, oh, this story. Hopefully it doesn't get worse. Oh, it's worse. Oh, oh no. It's oh. so much worse. I can't take oh. worse. So, okay, this body, this poor young woman's body, is misidentified several times. Like, every family within 100 miles is like, oh, that must be so-and-so who's been missing. Okay, so do... Just, just let me cut in here a minute. Mm -hmm. Did they take the head so she couldn't be identified? Is that why they're taking the head? Probably. Okay. Because they don't, you know, we'll get to that okay. a little later. Okay. They don't want anybody to know who she is. Okay. Okay. And so that's why the head's missing from the body. Making sense. Because okay. this, this is not a crime of, I just want to kill somebody. This is a crime of, I want to cover this up and I don't want anybody to know who it is or that I'm involved. Right. Because so. this is a promising young dental student yes. who, who is worried about his future. Okay. Yes, exactly. I'm with you. I'm with all you. Right. So, um, they chased all these false leads, 
And every time they would say, oh, it's so-and-so or it's this, that person or whatever, eventually the police would track that person down and they'd be like, no, I just don't want to be bothered by my family or whatever. And so there was all of this stuff going on. And meanwhile, this poor girl's body's just, you know, hanging out at the coroner's office, you know, all this time. So eventually they finally get to think, hey, let's investigate what she's wearing. And so they think that she is a young girl who is kind of poor mm-hmm. uh, because what she's wearing is not a very high-end dress. It's kind of a cheap material, older, thin. So they think, <clears throat> well, maybe she's poor. Maybe she's a prostitute. Maybe, you know, we, we don't really know much about her except we don't think this is what a, a high-class young lady would wear. Mm-hmm. But she did have on a pair of shoes that had very specific markings on the bottom of them. And so the police finally were able to track those down. And they were able to track down where they were sold. And they were able to find a sales receipt that showed that that particular pair of shoes had been sold to Pearl Bryan. And she had been missing since January 28th. Mm -hmm. So that was just a couple of days before the body was found. So as I mentioned earlier, Pearl Bryan had been in a relationship with this dental student. And as things happened, she wound up pregnant. And the dental student was not happy about this. And he thought, well, I'm a dentist or going to be a dentist, so I probably know enough about, you know, how to deal with these sorts of problems. So he started coming up with all these different concoctions to give her to try to cause her to miscarry this baby because he wasn't about that life. He did not want any child coming in, messing up his future, you know, uh, presumably that these concoctions did not work. And he decided to kill her in an attempt to hide her identity and rid himself of the problem of having a a baby mama and a child on the way. So um, this all eventually came out because apparently he had talked to Pearl's cousin about the pregnancy and had kind of sent some of those things that he was trying to give her. Because we don't know for sure whether Pearl took those things or what. But he had given um, her these different things to try to make her lose the pregnancy and had given them to the cousin to give to her. So, whenever they did the autopsy, they tracked it down to him. A large quantity of cocaine was found in her stomach. And that was readily available at that time. You could just go down to the drugstore and buy it. And so they found where he had purchased it. And so that's how they got tied back to him. Now, his roommate was also convicted of helping in this crime. Now, both of these men claimed complete and total innocence right up until the end. But they were ultimately hanged for the crime. And it was a bad hanging. It was not a quick and easy over and done with kind of thing. Um, apparently, they didn't. Sh- they shortened the ropes too much, and it was kind of like a spectacle. It took them oh, a long no. time to die. More strangulation than yeah. a, a vertebrae snapping. Yeah, there was a lot. Yes, it was a very much a botched execution. Oh no! Now the roommate, whose name was Alonzo Walling apparently vowed on the the scaffold that he was going to come back and haunt the area because he was being hanged for a crime he said he did not commit. Mm-hmm. Now, Pearl's murder and her body were found less than two miles from the site of Bobby Mackey's music world today. Now, many people have said that, you know, Walling and uh, Pearl's boyfriend were also Satanists, 
and that they threw her head down this well or tunnel in the basement of the slaughterhouse, which was no longer a slaughterhouse at this time. It was a distillery um, in like a sacrifice to Satan. But we know this was a functioning distillery at this time, and I'm sure they didn't just leave their basement open for random people to walk right, into. Yeah, it's probably a lock on the door. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, I would imagine. So, so that is pretty much been debunked. That you know they they never threw her head down these tunnels, and even if they had, those tunnels went right out to the Licking River. Yeah. Now the sad thing about that is that apparently finding random heads was not that unusual but newspapers from the time suggest that her head was actually found near Fort Thomas on March 21st 1896 now again forensics weren't really a thing at this time there's no way to know for sure if this was actually her head apparently there were multiple heads found during that period of time Hmm. but supposedly according to the newspaper article her friends and family who viewed the head assured themselves that yes, this was her. Wow. I have questions about that because the head was found March 21st of 1896 and she was murdered probably late into the hours of January 30th. Uh, Yeah. I have questions. There's going to be some changes. I I know that's a cold time of year, but and in the water, animals. Yeah, you're not telling me that uh, animals would definitely do some damage to it of some sort. But right. Let's just take a minute here. I want to ask Siri, what are the odds of me finding a head in my lifetime? Oh. <laughs> because I'm just going to start closing my eyes when I'm walking outside. I don't want to be that person. Yeah. Don't want to be that person. Well, yeah, I, I do not want to be that person either. But while we're talking about this, you know, I told you it gets worse. People like to uh, like to display things. Really, it gets worse than this. It really gets. I don't think it can. So apparently, when they autopsied. Poor Pearl Brine. They removed her fetus from her stomach and apparently um, displayed said fetus in a large jar of alcohol and had it on display at the local drugstore. What is wrong with these people? <laughs> no wonder they're getting haunted. They deserve it. <laughs> yeah. This, they have nothing yeah, going on. Uh, There's nothing else in the community. Is that, yeah. is that necessary? Get a hobby. Well, Apparently, it caused such an uproar. It was displayed there for a lot of time. But apparently, it caused such an uproar that eventually they removed it from display and has since been lost. No one knows what happened to Pearl's poor preserve. Oh, my goodness. So, yeah. Mm. There's some some trauma and some horrible things happening there. I mean, you know, poor Pearl thought she found the love of her life. Thought she was going to bring new life into this world. And look what happened to her. Yeah. She gets her head cut off while she's still alive. She met the wrong guy. As many people yeah. <laughs> So, um, now, this was in 1896. Now, a few years before this, uh, you know, we talked about the land holding on to things. Just a few years prior to this, there was a horrible accident that occurred. Um, workers were building a bridge across the Licking River between Covington and Newport. Now, uh, this was a, a big to-do. You know, they're spanning this bridge. They're trying to make uh, this thoroughfare for everybody. And the foreman had been warned by the carpenter that this bridge is unstable. 
the foreman thinks he knew everything, and he just kind of ignored these warnings about the bridge. And the bridge was like 126 feet above the water. And as uh, he was going to get some more bolts to sturdy up the work that he was sure was going to be just fine, the bridge then collapsed. Wow. And as it collapsed... It cracked, it fell below, and it drug all about 54 workers down into the water with it when it fell. Now, this is kind of a horrible thing, a horrible accident, and so the workers either drowned because they were held underwater by the timbers and stuff, Mm -hmm. or they got crushed by the debris in the disaster. So there were horrible injuries across the board. Some families lost multiple members of their family. Mm. Um, There was one young mother who lost both of her sons. And the sons were, you know, uh, one, I think the majority of his insides had been taken out and died at the scene. And the other one was mortally wounded. And his only concern was, did his brother make it out? And they mentioned that they did not tell him that his brother had passed before he passed so that he didn't have to know that horrible truth. But 41 people did not make it home from work that night. And the site of this tragedy, a quarter mile from Bobby Mackey's music world. Wow, of course. Of course. Do we know if the foreman made it? I don't know. He was off the bridge when it collapsed because, remember, he was going to get bolts. Yeah. So probably he did. So I imagine, you know, if the family members could get a hold of him oh, after yeah. that. I'm sure there was some, some major things that went on with that. Oh, yeah. Okay, so that brings us into, like, the early 19th century. What do we know about around the early 19th oh, century? we're just now making it to the 19th just, century. Just now. Just now making it to the 1900s anyway. Hmm. And so we get into the 1900s and boom, prohibition. Hmm. Prohibition, alcohol's bad, we're not going to have it anymore. And so at this point, the distillery, which had been, um, it was just totally torn down at this point. You know, after it had gone through fires and different things, the distillery gets torn down. Uh, so in the 30s, the property gets purchased and it is run as the Bluegrass Inn. So now this site has all of the uh, amenities that you would want for fun things to do at the time. It had a saloon, it had a bowling alley, um, and all of these things that were ran out of this place. But it also became a hot spot for organized crime, Mm. which I was unaware. Apparently, you know, Cincinnati and the Newport area in this time period were like hotbed activity for organized crime and the mafia. I had no idea. Did not know. The the saloon here, the Bluegrass Inn, also had gambling and illegal liquor sales because Prohibition was still going mm-hmm. on at that time. And it was the first in a long line of this type of activity that became associated with the property. Now, just like the distillery before, this property was plagued with many mysterious fires and also burglaries. And it was plagued by charges related to these illegal activities that were taking place in the speakeasy part of the Bluegrass Inn. Because the, you know, people were constantly coming in and raiding it, trying to catch them at the gambling, trying to catch the, the illegal uh, liquor sales. And so all of these things were going on at the time. Now, um, it gets changed, it changes hands multiple times. At one point, it's owned by this guy named Buck Brady. And he ran it in the 40s as a place called the the Primrose Country Club. And there was a lot of feuding between the owners. And then it was overtaken by the mafia and these mobsters from Cincinnati. Who then changed the name of it to the Latin Quarter. 
Now, this establishment kind of became a hub for the organized crime and the mafia world around here. So it continued to have uh, illegal liquor sales, gambling. There were fights. There were murders. Um, all of this stuff was rampant, and it was raided by the Kentucky State Police in September of 1951. So, you know, this whole entire early period, we've got all of this crime happening at this place. So when the state police raided it, they confiscated slot machines and other gambling paraphernalia. And they also uh, arrested the patrons and employees of the inn at the time. But none of that stopped these activities from happening. Some of the police were right in on it, and they were like, what gambling machines? <laughs> what liquor? What are you talking about? We're not aware of that. And so it just continued on and on. They're just playing go fish. Yeah. Of course. <laughs> just go fish. Good. Now, remember these tunnels in the basement? Those became a really convenient way to smuggle in liquor from oh, the Lincoln yeah. River because mm -hmm. they went right under the railroad track and into the bottom of the club. Yep. So they had uh, these barges that would come along and they would bring these barrels of whiskey and other things in through the tunnels. And sometimes when they did this, the barge captains were given back 55-gallon drums that were suspiciously heavy and told, take this down the river and dump it somewhere we don't really care where, but not here. Hmm. And so there's a lot of suspicious um, activity happening. Remember, we got mobsters in the, there. There are people being made to disappear. And so there's a lot of uh, suspicion that these drums were their way of disposing of bodies yeah. when they had to. And uh, one of the barge caption, captains actually spoke about this, but even years and years later, they were kind of reluctant to tell because, you know, what if they came after their families? Because right. all of these people were still kind of big players in the thing. And so, you know, uh, a lot of these people eventually came and uh, moved out to Vegas. A lot of the, the gamblers and the the mafia people, they moved out there, and that's why Vegas became so big, because it was their way of getting away from this area because of the constant raids by the police. Now, um, it was also turned into another crazy honky-tonk top club after that, and the popular name for that at the time was the Hard Rock Cafe, not associated with the Hard Rock Cafe that we think of as the big chain, but that was what they named it. But it had a reputation of being a dangerous place. And most people didn't refer to it as the Hard Rock Cafe. They talked about it and called it the Bloody Bucket. Mm. Would you like to know why they called it the Bloody Bucket? I don't think I do, but <laughs> go ahead. <clears throat> so the Bloody Bucket referred to the bucket of mop water that was kept in the corner of the club to be mopping up all of the blood from the constant fights and violence wow. that would break out there every night. So finally, the police are like, okay, we're done with this. And they came in and shut the whole place down. And that was the end of it until Bobby Mackey purchased it later on. So, um... Carl Lawson actually worked at the club. You know, Carl Lawson, who became the caretaker, who was later possessed by demonic forces, he actually worked there when it was the Hard Rock Cafe, better known as the Bloody Bucket. And so that was why he had such familiarity with the property. But after these multiple shootings and deaths, the police finally shut it down, and they shut it down for being called a public nuisance. 
and that was how they were finally able to put an end to all of that. Okay. Now, when Bobby Mackey purchased it, he really didn't have any idea about the history of this place. He just knew that when he was a kid driving around, he would see it at night when it was the Latin Quarter, and he would see it all lit up and all these cars there. And he was at a point in his life where he was trying to decide, do I go to Nashville or do I try to make something happen here? And that was why he purchased the club because he felt so drawn to it and he wanted to make it his own and he wanted to kind of build up the country music stuff here. And, and he is a self-proclaimed skeptic okay. of all of this stuff. He doesn't think there's anything supernatural happening at the club. Okay, interesting. So, so he himself has not experienced anything. In not all that, that he okay. will. Yeah. Like, the very first day that they showed up, he thought he saw a woman on the stage there, but they were alone, and he convinced himself it must have just been a trick of the lot. You know, anything supernatural that happens, he doesn't seem to believe in. And, you know, when Carl and his wife Janet were talking about all the crazy things they were witnessing and they were seeing, he was like, shh, shh, we don't want to talk about that because he was afraid that if it got the reputation for being haunted, that people would stay away from it. I believe the opposite is true. The opposite <laughs> is very true because it has been featured and, you know, it, they have ghost tours there and so... This has kind of become something it's known for. And I believe they even have a sign outside the club that says, these places are purported to be haunted and we are not responsible for things that may happen should you choose to enter. That may, that would make me want to go. That's the yeah. only reason I would want to go there. Sign, <laughs> sign me up. I'm on my way. <laughs> so I can't wait to hear what you think about all of this. Because <laughs> there's a lot. Oh, my goodness. I don't know. Um, I don't know where to begin. So, obviously, this land is ruined. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> this land has seen a lot of blood, mm -hmm. starting with that early battle. Mm -hmm. And then, and let's, ju let's just even, let's go back before that. Or, or after, I don't even know, I've lost track. But even if the music world didn't sit on a slaughterhouse, there was a slaughterhouse near it. Yeah, there was. And I don't know how a slaughterhouse works. But what do they do with the with the blood and the guts of those animals? They do something with it. D d does that just wash down a drain somewhere? And maybe that's where the... Because, you know, nowhere is there anything that's said specifically that, yes, there was, you know, confirmed satanic, you know, cult activity here. But when you think about it, a slaughterhouse, you know, putting the these animal blood and guts into the earth somewhere, that, that screams sacrifice to me right. in a way. And it may just be my lifestyle choices, but just putting any living things, you know, blood and guts into the earth, it's just, that that's that's a little off-putting for me. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not enjoying that. No. So, I mean, I just feel like that should be more, that should be more of a sacred process than that. But, I mean, what do I know? But, yeah, just that there is, is bad enough for me. And then, let's just go to the other stuff. So, then we have Pearl, this poor Pearl. Poor Pearl. All she did was make a poor decision on a, on, a, on a life mate. And instead of just, I feel like for him, it would have been easier just to marry her and, and, and do his duty as a father. Yeah, you'd think. But no, he, he decides to do all this other stuff, which was horrible. Yeah. And each thing was horrible, one right after the other. It got worse and worse. Why was there so much blood on the land? I mean, 
so the idea was that they gave her the cocaine mm-hmm. in order to, I guess maybe they wanted to kill her first, but it wasn't enough to completely overdose her. So her heart was still beating. She was still alive when she was beheaded. So, I mean, I guess the heart where she, it, it pumps oh. the blood, you know, I guess. And I guess so she just, had those drugs yeah. in her sister. Okay. So that, that was why there was sense. so much blood, you know, even spurted up into the trees and stuff. And then it was Alonzo saying that he was going to haunt the mm-hmm. land. Um, which, yeah, I guess if I was angry, I'd probably say that too. But that's that's setting a bad precedent for this place as well. Because you're going to expect to see things. People are going to come around expecting to see things with that. Um, also, I saw a story about, okay, when this was... Okay, help me out here. It was the Latin something. The Latin Quarter. When it was the Latin Quarter... There was a story about a murder-suicide with the Latin Quarter. I don't know. So that's the Johanna story. Yes. So that, so, and and that's another thing that's interesting, because if you go back, I have lots of questions about Johanna's diary. Okay. Um, and, and the book did a really good job of, like, telling us what Carl, Carl said was in the diary, but I think it's interesting that nobody's ever actually seen the diary right. pages that he supposedly found. But, um, so her story was that her father was either an owner or a manager of the club Mm -hmm. at the time, and he was big in the mob. So when he found out that she was, you know, uh, having a fling with this singer and planning to run away with him, that he murdered him. Supposedly the night they were supposed to run away together, she came to his dressing room and found all of this blood and his shirt was all ripped in there and, and he was gone. And when she... I guess confronted her father about what had happened he told her that he had um, taken care of that problem and that he was in the tunnels and wouldn't be a problem any longer right which if those tunnels were made to like drain rainwater as well as bring water in that tells me that maybe there's some flooding going on in this area and I guess if you're a mobster and you want to get rid of a body and you throw it down a tunnel that floods sometimes I mean, that might be a thing that kind of takes care of itself right. after a while. And then a part of the story said that she poisoned her father she and then killed her herself. Father and then also poisoned herself because she just couldn't bear the thought of living. Now, remember, she's pregnant at this time, yes. too. So that was kind of my thing I wanted to talk about. There are so many stories that deal with violence specifically on pregnant women. Yes. We've got Pearl who's pregnant. She gets beheaded about a mile, two miles from the club. Mm-hmm. We've got Johanna who's pregnant. Her lover gets murdered and she kills herself. And then we have Bobby Mackey's wife, Janet, exactly. who's pregnant and then has all of these things happening around her and then ends up delivering her child mm-hmm. uh, prematurely. And that's what I wanted to tie it back to. So why is she the one experiencing all of this? And then, like you said, she ha- her baby was early. Why is all of this happening to her? And I feel like there's a correlation there's there. There's got to be. And there are even a lot of stories I read that talked about why you shouldn't go to this club if you are pregnant. Because there have been other stories of women that were pregnant, went to the club, and then later miscarried their child. Oh, wow. So there were a lot of stories. You know, it's kind of like I know somebody who knew somebody who this, you know, that kind of a story. Right. But there's a lot of, I think it's an interesting connection. Interesting. So just to be on the safe side, I don't think I would go. No, 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 no. Mm-mm. I will go lots of places. I have no desire to go to Bobby Mackey's. 
And as I mentioned, um, you know, this has been featured twice on Ghost Adventures. And it's also been featured on Portals to Hell um, and other documentaries. I think Ozzy Osbourne's son, it does one of those. I think it's the Portal to Hell one, and, and they go in there. And even just watching those, I went back and watched those episodes to kind of prepare, and it just, it just made my skin crawl. Oh, yeah. You know, I'm not saying that there's demonic activity there. I'm just saying I don't want to go find out. Oh, yeah. Anytime we bring in demonic um, questions or satanic, I'm out. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not into that. But you know, Especially you, when you get to the stories of it following people home. Right. No, thank you. I'm not taking anything home with me. Not doing it. I got enough issues in my <laughs> life. I don't need to take anything home with me. But, yeah, give me a friendly poacher guy store sure. or something. Sure. Ghost that wants to clean my house. Clean the house yeah. while thinking, yeah. Some... I'll go check those out. But, yeah, when we get to the satanic and the demonic. Mm-hmm. And as far as Pearl's boyfriend, I can kind of see why they would associate him with a satanic cult, whether he was or not, because the the, the, the heinous crime he committed. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, you've got to be a cold person to cut off the head the of mother your, of your child yes yes I mean, I mean he obviously had feelings for her at some point or or maybe she thought he did i mean you know you know you don't know and to be able to do that to somebody to, you know a stranger let alone the mother yeah. of your child how yeah. could you do it, that it, it's just absolutely horrific so yeah i can see that why they would equate him to that well uh, and the interesting thing was when they caught him you know, he was the one that indicated his roommate. He was like, well, have you caught Alonzo yet? And they were like, what? And then he tells them that he's involved in it. And maybe, you know, the whole time, I mean, right up to the end, Alonzo is like, I have nothing to do with this. So I maybe, am completely innocent. He may have been completely innocent. Maybe Alonzo innocent. was innocent. Um, now, the interesting thing was, you know, they offered to let them live if they would just tell where Pearl's head was. Mm-hmm. And they were like... I can't. We didn't do it. We can't tell you where her head is because we didn't do this. Mm-hmm. So that's why they then were hanged. And I thought that was an interesting choice. Right. So either they really were innocent. I find that unlikely. Yeah. But maybe either they really were innocent because, you know, I mean, you'd think if you committed a crime like that and you knew you were going to be put to death, but if you told where the head was, you could not be put to death. Yeah. But then I don't know. I, I do a lot of true crime stuff, and sometimes these killers just, they like having that piece of information oh, that they yeah. don't get. Something they don't. You know, a lot of them take secrets like that to the grave because they, they like that sense of power. I right. don't know. Let's talk about Carl just for a minute. Okay. Okay. So, if you watch the Ghost Adventures episode, the very first episode, he passed away in 2012, mm-hmm. but the first episode of Ghost Adventures where they go to Bobby Mackey's, he was still alive at that time, and they actually interview him. And so it was really interesting to get him to hear him talk about his possession. Now, no offense to Carl, if I had gotten possessed at my workplace and then was later exercised by a priest and was able to go on about my life, I am packing up and I'm done. moving. Yeah. That, that really shocked me because I was like, man, employee of the month and year. Yeah. Like, I mean... I'm not you, going back. You go through all that, and it's like, all right, back on Monday at 8 a.m. See you I'm in there. the morning. Hopefully yeah. get my sleep. Hope this doesn't uh, happen again. And Dedicated they ask to his him, craft. They ask him in that about, you know, do you, do you uh, 
do you still have a, a feeling of these entities that possess you? He's like, I feel them right now. <laughs> Carl. Carl, what are you thinking? <laughs> what are you thinking, man? Go away, Carl. Get away from them. Oh, my. So, no. in the second episode, well, they, I think it's their, they call it Return to Bobby Mackey's or something like that. They actually found some old camcorder footage of his exorcism. Oh, wow. And they show a little bit of it. And it's interesting. Hmm. Surprised that would be allowed to be filmed. Uh, yeah, yeah. Like, and we're talking about the early nineties, but also it was. A, I don't think it was like. It, I don't think it's like a Catholic church exorcism. They, no, it, it, it just didn't feel that way to me. So I thought that was interesting too, because you know we and we talked about this when we talked about um, you know our Olivefield poltergeist. We we kind of associate that the exorcism rites with the Catholic church, mm-hmm. and so I don't really feel like the reverend there was. You know, like a like a get permission from to go do this exorcism kind of thing. So I don't know. I don't know what to think about that. Hmm, interesting. So I wonder, wonder what kind of exorcism this was and who was performing and yeah. what this was about. I'm not familiar with another denomination that has anything similar to that. Yeah. But like, I know. From what I know of, and maybe I'm way off base here, but from what I know about exorcisms, aren't they like kind of hard to get? Like, oh yeah, you have to go through a lot of channels, and you have to do a lot of. I mean, there's a there's a there's a trail, and they won't just do an exorcism mm-hmm. on anybody. I mean, there's got to be a lot of evidence and a lot of a lot of discussion, and and then even when they do, it's very secretive and very hush hush. I mean, it's not. I can imagine them just putting it on a tape recording and letting that get leaked out. Yeah. So. Yeah, that's odd. There, um, if you watch those two episodes, they have a local priest who talks to them and also at one point goes to them. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen the meme. Wendy, you, you are not a social media person. But the meme where it's like, hey, demons, it's me, your boy. That is from one oh. of these episodes. <laughs> uh. <laughs> where the Zach fellow is, uh, you know, calling him out. And one of the things that the the priest tells them is that you shouldn't be calling them out. You don't no. want to uh, yeah, provoke <laughs> these spirits. I feel like that. Don't poke a demon in the eye. Ghost don't. hunting one hundred and one. <laughs> don't mean, provoke. Think... Don't provoke. You do not. Yes. Uh, but yeah, yeah. It just it, this one gives me a bad feeling. And you know, one of, what I wanted to talk about when I said let's talk a little bit about Carl. Um, a lot of it centers around him. He's there when Janet's got the crazy things happening to her mm-hmm. for the most part. You know, he's the one that finds the diary pages. And I mean, who wakes up one day and is like, well, Ghost told me to tear up the floor in the basement, so I'm going to go yeah. tear up the floor in the basement. <laughs> that really surprised me because I'm like, you, you're going to have to repair that, right? Like, you're going <laughs> to. Yeah. Well, if you see pictures, it's still just open hanging out down oh, there beautiful. now. <laughs> so, so, so is he like some sort of conduit or something? Maybe. He, maybe. I don't know. Um, and why him? Why Carl? But also, like, did Carl make some of this stuff up to get attention? I mean... Like, I'm normally not a skeptic. I am a skeptic. some stuff, but as I was reading about this, I'm like, okay, Carl's involved in this. Carl's involved in that. Carl finds the diary pages. And, okay, let's talk about the diary pages just for a minute, too. 
some of the things that were said, like, okay, so I'm I'm not a science person, and again, we're, is this a science podcast or is this a paranormal <laughs> podcast? Who knows anymore? But supposedly, the final journal entry that Johanna wrote, where she goes into really great detail about all the stuff that happened to her, supposedly she wrote that after she took poison. And she supposedly was writing in her diary entry that she was going to go down into the basement... And she was going to uh, try to keep the evil out. And she it wrote in there that she wanted them to um, find a way to seal it off. Because otherwise she knew she was going to be trapped there forever. Because her dad was, you know, sold his soul to the devil. And even though that she killed it. I mean, it was just really... I had a lot of questions. I would like to think most of your poisons would be... Yeah. Well, and that was my thing, you know. How is this happening if she's taking this poison? She has peace of mind to sit down and write like right. a three-page diary entry and then go down to the basement and try to, you know, fight off some evil spirits. I just don't meantime. see that happening. Yeah, I don't either. But Bobby Mackey actually wrote a song about her. He has a very popular song called Johanna that talks really? all about her story. So I thought that was kind of interesting, too. And the the scents, I think I mentioned in there that people report smelling a rose perfume. Supposedly, that was her signature scent. Oh. And so the dressing room where you go in sometimes and you people will say that they smell that. That is purported to be her dressing room. So, okay. And I can't stay away from this fetus in the jar. Oh. Okay, this place is already bad enough. You've mm-hmm. got all this bad mojo going on. Um, but then you put a fetus in the drawer on display. You're just asking. You're asking for bad things to come. Mm-hmm. You're 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 encouraging it. Why, who would do that? Why would you do that? There's this woman's already been through enough. Why would you do this to her? Right. It, you know, if I had the ability, if I was Pearl and I had the ability to come back and haunt, yes. you best believe whoever decided to make that decision, mm-hmm. they're getting haunted yeah. in whichever way I can do it. And her poor family, you know, can you imagine? Which I'm sure they weren't happy with her choices, especially considering what they led to. But, like, her poor family. It's like, you know, not only is our daughter dead, she's been murdered in this horrific way. We don't have her head. You know, they waited for a long time Mm -hmm. before they put her poor body to rest because they were hoping that her head was going to show up. And it didn't before they finally decided to put her in the ground. But who's like, okay, well... That's my unborn grandchild, but sure, put them out on display for no. everybody to see. Yeah, not my, just, not my mm, grandchild, no. Mm-mm. No, no. Not I just happening. think that was a very poor decision all the yes. way around. Yes, yes. That's definitely going to draw some negativity. Absolutely. So, what do we think here? Um, this land, obviously. First. <laughs> should be pretty cheap for property taxes. <laughs> yeah. it really should. This land obviously has some issues. Um, do I think... I don't know. Um, like I said, when you get into all this demon and satanic uh, stuff, I don't really want to mess with it. But I also think how much of this could have been done for publicity? How much exactly. of this? Exactly. How much of this could have been done to get people in? Um, you know, she wore rose perfume. How do we know she wore rose uh-huh. smelling perfume? And how do we know that there's not some sort of rose scented? diffuser somewhere right. to kind of like get you to smell that rose scent mm-hmm. or how do we know there's not stuff set up somewhere well, too and when people come in knowing the history 
or thinking they know the history, as is the case here, you know, thinking, oh yeah, that's the well where they threw poor Pearl Bronze head. You know, they think that, and they kind of come in expecting to see or feel something. Exactly. How much of the things that are happening are in people's perception versus how many things actually are happening? And when you come into a place that has that much history and you walk in wanting something to happen, you can manifest those things. Mm -hmm. You can, and you come in already scared, already thinking something's going to happen. You can manifest thinking that you see things or that you smell things or you hear things. You can make that happen with your mind. All of that being said, I still have no desire to <laughs> the music world. Oh. No, I don't think I do as well. I don't uh, think I do either. I don't want to pick anything up and bring it home. I don't uh, I don't have any desire for that. No, I think I'm good. I think I'm good. Um, I, th I think we'll set this one out. Yeah. <laughs> but you let us know if you go. Yeah. If you have any We want to hear your stories. If you've ever been to Bobby Mackey's and you have a paranormal experience or a not-so-paranormal experience and you want to tell us about it, we would love to know. We'll live vicariously through you. You can contact us on Facebook and Instagram at Haunted Haulers. You can also send us an email at hauntedhaulers at gmail.com. And we also have a webpage, www.hauntedhaulers.com. Until next time, listeners, beware of things lurking in the shadows. <laughs>